So we're going to be in the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to be jumping around quite a bit. We'll hit Acts chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 8 and 9 and 16. So just be ready to move uh, this morning. If you guys remember three weeks ago, uh, we talked about John chapter 14 through 16 and saw in it that Jesus, and speaking to his disciples before uh, going on and laying down his life, Rising from the grave and ascending to the Father, he promised them that the Father would send another helper, and that is the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how awesome it would be to be able to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to sit at the table and share a meal with Jesus. And in the same way as Jesus helped the disciples, the Holy Spirit helps the church today. We do have a helper. And then also, we saw in Galatians chapter 5, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to check out Galatians 5 and notice the Holy Spirit in chapter 5. And in, the, in that chapter, you have your are to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And then, how do you know you're doing this? You're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And you've got these characteristics laid out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Christians aren't good people, they're God's people. And God's Spirit in the Christian develops these characteristics. And we should be growing, it takes a lifetime as we grow in these things. And then last week we talked about Romans 8. By the Spirit we have been set free, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. By the Spirit we have been adopted into God's family. By the Spirit we can put to death the things of this world, sin in our lives. You're convicted of sin, you can put it to death. You can't live for the flesh and for God. You can't be controlled by sin and by the Spirit. So be controlled by the Spirit. And then today, what we're going to do is look at a snapshot of how the Spirit empowers the church to be about the mission God has given us. Yesterday, we brought home a sixth grade basketball championship. Camden's playing with a, a team, sixth grade girls from Holmes. Uh, the head coach is Lex Brown. I'm helping as an assistant, and we're in the championship game. We call timeout. It's getting a little bit too close for comfort. We got the ball underneath our own basket. And if you're a basketball fan, you know that's a good opportunity to score. So we draw up a play. Coach Lex is drawing this up, has all five girls in the right spot, the right girls setting the right screen, and the girl underneath the basket making the right pass and shooting the right shot. Everything looked golden on our whiteboard. We ask, are there any questions? No. All right, let's break. One, two, three, renegades. There we go. Off to the court. And then all of a sudden, we saw them lined up. I was like, Coach Lex, I think they had some questions. We had girls, none in the right spot except for the girl taking the ball out of bounds. She pounds the ball. They break. The girls don't set a screen. One girl runs to the opposite side of the court. Another girl runs to the opposite side of the basket where she's supposed to go. But the passer passed it to the right girl. She wasn't looking. She was setting the screen. It bounces off of her head, and she's dazed. May have been concussed. The ball slowly rolls out of bounds. Coach Lex looks at me. What was that? I think they had some questions. We had the right play. We had the right information. But wouldn't it have been nice for Coach Lex to be able to walk on that court and put the girls in the right spot and then say, hey, you're picking her and you're coming around the screen to this spot on the court. You're going to bounce past her the ball and she's going to shoot a layup. 
Wouldn't that have been nice? Here's the awesome news. The Holy Spirit does that for the church. You're not out here hoping you get it right, hoping you understand. Jesus says, all right, church, uh, this is the game plan. Go and make disciples here, near, and far. Ready, break. Good luck. No, he sends his spirit to fill his church. We know exactly what God has for us. And he guides us daily. So that's what we're going to look at. The Holy Spirit in the church, in the book of Acts. And what you're going to see, the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit emboldens, the Holy Spirit encourages, and the Holy Spirit enlightens. I just want to, to give you just this, this urgency. Our nation, but even more specific, our community, is in desperate need for God to move. We're in desperate need for His Spirit to be poured out, that people who have nothing to do with God, to have a hunger for God, for the things of God, to hear about the gospel. And our church needs an awakening. And so that's what we're, we're praying for. And it only happens through the Holy Spirit. You can't do this by trying harder. You do this through being filled with the Spirit. So number one, the Holy Spirit empowers. Verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. We've already read it. This is a verse that we should have memorized. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my disciples, where? In Jerusalem, which is what we call here. That would be Covington for us. And then it says, in Judea and Samaria, which is near, and then to the ends of the earth, which is far. That's where we get our mission statement from. But I want you to see that here, power was given for a purpose. And that purpose is to be a witness for Jesus. And you want to know why I think we see a powerful church in Acts? Because they were about this mission. The power was given for this purpose. So check out with me. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is poured out on the church. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And there's a guy that's been there since birth. He's lame, can't walk. And he's like, hey, I need some money. He's like, I don't have it. But what I do have, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. The man gets up, starts praising Jesus, worshiping God. Word spreads. And this is how, this is how chapter 3, uh, Peter preaches, 3,000 people are saved. Tells people, hey, Jesus, who you killed, you buried, he rose. 3,000 people saved. Then you go to the end of chapter 3. Peter and John, they just keep preaching. And it says that the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. That's unbelievable church growth. So was it that Peter and John were dynamic speakers? No, they were fishermen. Ordinary people. As a matter of fact, what you'll hear in a little bit, they were uneducated. They were educated about someone. They knew Jesus. And they knew the power of the Spirit. So you get to chapter 4. Some of the people didn't like what they were doing. And in chapter 4, verse 1, this is what we read, 1 through 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and it grew to be 5,000. Isn't that an amazing statement? God's doing a work, 
Was it easy? No. There's suffering, there's persecution, there's risk. They're arrested, they're spending the night at jail. This is the same group that put Jesus to death. I wonder if there's fear in the heart of Peter and John. And yet you see God at work. Peter's asked to explain himself. What power do you do this in? Right? The man that was lame, he was healed. So they're trying to figure out how is this working? How are you doing this? You guys remember Peter? You guys remember what happened when Jesus was arrested? Like, like this is one of Jesus' guys. And he was just asked a simple question. Do you know him? Aren't you with him? And he denies him three times. He's scared to death. They're hiding in a room after Jesus rises from the grave. That same Peter, why, why the transformation? It's what the Spirit does. The Spirit of God transforms the people of God. And if you know Christ, He's transforming you. There's nothing special about Peter. It's about God in Peter. So what we read, this is how he responds. This is not, this is not how he responded earlier when he was denying Jesus. But listen to what the Spirit did in his life. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if you are being called, if we are being called to account today for what act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, how was he healed? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Like Peter adds that little blurb. You know, the guy you crucified, who God raised? Yeah, him. That's how he's standing. I love this. Peter's not shy anymore. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The account goes on. They're trying to figure out what to do with these two guys who spread the name of Jesus all over their city. So they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let him go. And these guys just never shut up about talking about Jesus. You can't stop speaking about him. What an amazing account of the early church. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes in the life of the believer. If you want to experience the power of God, be about the purposes of God. There's a movie. Now listen, having four girls, I'm, I'm up to date on all of the princess movies. Little Mermaid was out there. And she's discovering things in the bottom of the ocean, and she brings it up to Scuttle, the bird that's not too bright. And she shows Scuttle what something is, and he knows exactly what it is. So Ariel's found a fork. She doesn't know what it is. She shows him, and the bird says, Oh, I know exactly what that is. People are crazy about it. This is a rare find. You use it to straighten your hair, and he's combing his hair. It's called a dinglehopper. And then next, Ariel brings out a pipe 
Oh, yes, that's a snarl loop. You play that, it's an instrument that makes the beautiful music that you can ever hear. And Aaron's just like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then she has to go and talk to her father. And I just wonder, sometimes I think that's the church and how we treat the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit of God will not empower you to build your own kingdom. He's not interested in building your bank account or your popularity or your power. He is all about making Jesus known. And I believe the reason why churches are weak today is they've lost track of the mission for which the power of God has been poured out. If we want to experience the power of God, it'll be as we witness to the greatness of Jesus. That's my prayer for our church. And here's the cool part. You've been given that spirit. Isn't it an amazing thing? I wonder what would happen if we go out and we share the gospel and all of a sudden next week 3,000 people show up. We might have to have multiple services. We might have to have something downstairs and upstairs at the same time. We might have to be able to preach a message in multiple languages. Wouldn't it be awesome for the Spirit of God to move like that? And here's the good news. The same Spirit that moved in Peter and John and the disciples in the church is alive and well in you and in me. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, empowers for the mission of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit emboldens. So you have all of this, and, and everything sounds okay, right? Okay, so they had to spend a night at jail. How do you think they respond? How do you think they respond? Let's say uh, two guys go out. Wes and Jim, they go out, they're sharing the gospel, they get arrested, they get locked up, and then they come back and report, hey, God's saving everybody in the city, but we had to stay overnight at Kenton County Detention Center. And now they're going to ask us to pray for them. What do you think we should ask for them? God to keep us safe. God to protect us from people arresting us, spreading lies about us. Like, all of that would cross my mind. You want to know what the church prayed about? Help us speak with boldness. Help us speak louder. Help us speak clear. What an awesome prayer request. Don't take my word. Check this out. Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And so, when you read that, if this is the first time you're reading this, consider their threats. Like, they threatened to beat you. They've already killed the guy you follow. It didn't work out too well for them but they killed them. They've already arrested you. Consider their threats. These are real, legitimate threats. And now here's the sad part. This is true of some of our brothers and sisters today. It's a scary thing to meet in public, to gather together. We don't have this threat, but some do. So they said, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Don't let us shrink back. Don't let us whisper. Don't let us be quiet. But then I love how God answers in verse 31 of chapter 4. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Man, what an answer to prayer. Have you ever asked God for boldness? Is that something you've ever asked God for? 
And I was looking, and, and we spoke a little bit about this Sunday night in our Bakesis class, just talking about how the Holy Spirit empowers us for evangelism. Man, when it comes to telling others about Christ, it is so quiet. And this is, this is what I mean. 55% of Christians have not shared the gospel with one person in the last six months. So most people aren't telling others about Jesus in the church. And, and then we, we kept going, 55% of Christians have not, uh, or I'm sorry, 1 in 10 churchgoers, 10%, average at least one evangelistic conversation a month. So I, I'm just looking, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It, just this group right here, there's only one of us that would even have some conversation remotely about Jesus. And if you, if you look at us, there might be 10 people in here that, that have a conversation about Jesus. And then my question was why? And, and we had a great conversation on why we don't share the gospel. And it's amazing how much of it is related back to fear. To fear. There was a, a survey done. Uh, they, they were doing the, uh, the Jesus movie. And they were asking, it was 1,600 Christians, why they don't share the gospel. And 22% of the 1,600 that were surveyed said they're afraid to. They're afraid to share the gospel. But then there was another huge percentage. 8% said that they were afraid they wouldn't know what to say, which goes back to fear. Another 8% said they didn't want to be ridiculed. 4% thought they'd mess it up. And when you started adding all of these different reasons up, it goes back to a lack of boldness over 50%. 50%, half of the church not telling others about Jesus because they're afraid to do so. I think it's interesting if we understood what was on the line. For us, I don't think we have to be afraid of persecution. At least not right now. I can have gospel conversations with anybody I come in contact with and they're not going to come arrest me and throw me in jail. I think for us, the fear comes from the uncomfortableness of what might happen. But I want you to think about how uncomfortable it'll be if you never have that conversation. There was a guy, and I've shared this story before. His name's Penn Gillette. He's an atheist. Uh, he's a magician in with Penn and Teller. He's been on TV shows, different things. Pretty interesting guy. But he talks about the church, and there was one guy that came up to him after a show and gave him a New Testament with a note in it. And he said, I respected him more than I do most church-going people. Now listen to his reason why. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not going to eternal life, and you think that's not only really worth telling them this because it's socially awkward, you think it's not worth telling them this because it's socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't evangelize, who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. He asks this question, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And then he concludes, I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that that truck was bearing down on you, there is at a certain point where I tackle you. And this talking about eternity, is more important than that. If fear keeps you 
from sharing the gospel. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. Fear is not coming from God. Satan will get you to worry about everything but what you should be worried about. And that's an eternity separated from Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers the Holy Spirit in boldness. When's the last time you asked God to fill you with boldness? So at the end, we're going to have a time of invitation, but this is one of those things I want you to ask God for. That you ask God to fill you with His Spirit, to give you a boldness to speak clearly about the things of Christ. And listen, you don't have to know all the answers. There's a, there's a sheet that talks about what's in the gospel. Like, if you know enough to be saved, to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know enough to tell someone else how to be saved. But you've got to communicate it. Don't leave something this important, eternally important, to say, I hope someone else does. No, you are that person. Speak up. Speak loudly. Speak clearly. Be filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit encourages. You get to chapter 9, and there's some crazy things happening. There's a dude that a chapter earlier voted to put someone to death for following Jesus. But by chapter 9, he's saved. And God's using him in a mighty way. His name's Saul. He's changing it to Paul. And now Paul is on fire for Jesus, sharing the gospel. And I just want you to, to see this. Saul meets Jesus, and he's preaching the gospel in Damascus. The religious leaders don't like that he's pointing people to Jesus, so they try to kill him. He goes to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, guess who's there? The apostles, leaders of the church. He says, hey, I want to meet up with them. How do you think that went? The disciples are like, nope, no, no, we know who you are, Saul. No, thank you. So they don't meet with them. So there's this guy named Barnabas who the Holy Spirit has filled. And he's encouraging the church. And he goes by and says, oh, hey, come on, man. And he talks about how Saul was the one preaching the gospel in Damascus. And then Paul starts powerfully preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. The religious leaders don't like it. They have a plan to kill him. And then Saul is sent to Tarsus. And that's how you get to this verse in chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. I think that's an interesting word. That, that in, the word encouragement there also means comfort, strengthens. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in the early church. Isn't it amazing what you see in Acts 1-8 is starting to happen? They're now in Samaria. They're in Jerusalem. The gospel's spreading. And the Holy Spirit is there and comforting and encouraging the church. Why do you think that is? Because when the gospel spreads, it's usually through suffering. It's costly. Paul can't stay anywhere. The disciples are scattering. Persecution is breaking out. People love idols. This city loves idols. Whether it's sports or money or drugs or relationships, we love holding on to things as if they're God, hoping that they will fill us with stuff that only God can fill us with. 
And when we bring the gospel, say, no, Jesus is the only thing you can hold on to like that, the world reacts violently. And here, what the church needs is encouragement. We, uh, we go to uh, different things with the family, parking lots, all that good stuff. And right now, it's, uh, I have a daughter that's still at the age where if she gets scared, she'll run to me. So we're going to the parking lot, and all the big cars make her nervous. Well, we're going out this week, and there was a truck, and you guys have probably seen this truck. has diesel, loud exhaust, revving it up in the parking lot, and I'm just holding her hand, and she's fine. She hears that. All of a sudden, she stops walking. Her hands are up. I've got to pick her up, hold her tight, and she's able to get out of that parking lot. Now, this is the cool part. That's exactly what God does for you and for me. This world and the chaos it brings can be terrifying. But the Spirit of God lives in you. Jesus promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the age. Promises how the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. And so here's the awesome part. As we're going, know that God is with you. And if God is with you, how comfortable should you be? If God is in me, empowering me, encouraging me, giving me boldness to speak, if I have God, I'm good. No matter what happens to me, the worst anyone can do is take my life. And then what happens? The Spirit who's in me, who will always be in me, says, get on up. And I get to go be with Jesus for all eternity. You can't be touched because the Spirit of God is in you. Be encouraged by the presence of God. So we've got the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit emboldens, and then finally, uh, the last part, after being encouraged, be enlightened. The Spirit's leading the way in Acts. So in, in Acts chapter 8, you have this guy named Philip. In verse 29, it says, The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, I don't know how many chariots were on the road, but I know Philip wasn't on this road. It wasn't on his radar. But the Spirit says, That one, go to that chariot, jump up, stay near, listen. And there's a man from Ethiopia, and he's reading Isaiah. And he has no clue what the passage, who the passage is talking about. And it says, Philip, from that passage, spoke about how it is about Jesus. Shares the gospel with this man. He's saved, he's baptized. And then we get to the end of this account in chapter 8, verse, we'll go 39. It says, when he came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotos and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. I love the example of Philip. Spirit of God says, hey, go to that chariot. All right, now you're going back this way, going through this town and this town and this town. And as you go, you're just telling people about Jesus. Man, we need some Phillips in the world today. So that's an individual example. But then you got the example of the early church. Now listen, this might make you nervous. But think about this. Acts chapter 13, 
churches together. In verse 2 it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the, week to which, to, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, sent them off, two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed on there for, to Cyprus. Can you imagine if we gathered together, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit signals out two of you, we pray for you, we're fasting, and we send you out. That's what God's doing. God in the, Holy, in the early church. But then, you also have one more example. And I think this one's interesting. God leads, the Spirit here leads, through closed door, closed door, open door. So in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, check this out. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Closed door. Verse 7. When they came to the border of Myasia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Closed door number two. So they passed by Myasia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Closed door, closed door, open door. The Holy Spirit leading Philip, the Holy Spirit leading the early church, the Holy Spirit leading Paul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit is still enlightening the way for the church. And I, I just I, I want to point a couple of things out. Number one. The Holy Spirit enlightens through open doors and closed doors. Through open doors and closed doors. You see that, right? Two closed doors, one open door. The same thing's happening today. So just so you know, in 2013, uh, when I left uh, the church where I was serving and started the Redemption Church, we planted a church, it was closed door after closed door. We sold our house. We were looking for a home in Covington. We couldn't find one. I think, and, and Julianne's in the nursery today, I think we looked through 15 houses. Our realtor was patient. I don't know about you, but if you ever ask the bank for a loan, but you don't have a job, it's hard to get a loan. Imagine that. Imagine that. So it was tough to get a loan. And then we looked at the different neighborhoods and trying to figure out how in the world is this going to work. Closed door, closed door, closed door. And then once you know it, three streets down from here, God had a place for us. And then, did you know we visited seven churches in Covington just looking for partnerships, like-minded people? Closed door, closed door, closed door, get to here, open door. God leads through closed doors and open doors. And just know this, if one closes, another one opens. If one closes, doesn't I mean, well, God's not leading you. No, God's leading you. He's just trying to get you to the right spot. And he does this as a church, us together, and he does this as an individual, you. Keep, reading, keep going. The Holy Spirit enlightens individuals and groups. Philip was guided by the Holy Spirit. The church was guided by the Holy Spirit. And it was interesting, as God was stirring my heart for the city of Covington, and this is something he did at an early age. Played basketball at Turner's. If you guys know where Turner's is, uh, you walk through a bar to get to the gym, right? Now, we were there early in the morning, but the bar was still crowded. So I don't know if guys just stayed the night or if they just got an early start. But you go in Turner's, and I thought, man, this is an awesome place. You, you run, there's ways to play basketball. The out-of-bounds line was the wall. 
So it was kind of like a physical game of basketball. Fun stuff. Also, Boys and Girls Club. Got to play in there. And I always thought, well, that's an interesting place. Grandpa would always bring us down to a Cincinnati Reds game. We'd always park on the Covington side, rock across Roebling. But even there, God was just planting seeds for Covington. And then it got to the point where I think I'm going to Covington too. I've got to go to Covington. But that was something that I knew. I was in a Bible study. I was learning some things. And I still have to bring that conversation up with my wife with three daughters. Julianne, I'm going to quit this job and we're going to start a church. Okay, well, how are you going to help provide for the family? Uh, God will provide. All right, so what are we going to do? Well, we're going to sell the house and move to Covington. And I'm going through all this stuff in my head thinking, there's no way this is going to work out. This is going to be one of those closed doors. So I tell Julianne, she's like, all right, well, I guess we better clean the house and get it on the market. That's an awesome response. God was already moving in her heart. And then we come here and God's already moving in the hearts of Ashland Avenue. Saying, come on in. We've got a space. We'll even let you use the soundboard. You can mess it up every week and we'll fix it. That's what, that's what God does. He enlightens individuals and he enlightens groups. I still remember in our family room with the people that, that God moved. Right? Many of you. God stirred your heart. That's why you're here. God still moves through individuals and groups. Holy Spirit also enlightens sometimes gradually and sometimes instantly. I always thought there'd be four locations for Redemption Church in Covington. Right now we're at one and a half. We're looking for a team that'll go to Oakland Avenue. We want locations where people can walk and hear the gospel on Sunday morning. But God may or may not do that. But it's been gradual. And at the same time, all of a sudden, Richard Cleet called me out of nowhere. I didn't know Richard Cleet at the time. And he said, do you want to worship at Oakland Avenue? I said, I'm not sure. So I met with him. He goes, listen, we're closing. We'd love for you to worship here. If you want it, it's yours. And I asked him, well, we probably have to renovate and do it. He's like, it's yours. And it just happened like that. I didn't know Richard before that time. He didn't know me. He said, come on. And it happens instantly. You don't know where God might call you. And you don't know when God might call you. Here's the awesome part. A lot of times people think it's going to be somebody young uh, that God's going to call. It's, and the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. Right? I don't think Philip would have jumped up in that chariot without the Holy Spirit leading him. But the Holy Spirit is just as likely to call someone in their 80s as someone in their 20s. As long as you're still breathing... The Holy Spirit's going to be leading. Go where He leads. Go where He leads. Lastly, and, and we're winding down, the Holy Spirit enlightens, but our brains are required. Paul says that he concluded Macedonia is the right spot. Some of the scariest words you can hear is the Spirit told me. Because when you hear that, there's some things that should be going off. The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired this book. It's the inspired Word of God. He won't contradict Himself. And there are several leaders that have led people astray saying, this is what the Spirit told me. 
Line it up with the Word of God. The same Spirit that's leading His people is the same Spirit who inspired the Word. Think. See where God's at work. And then finally, with that being unpredictable, it's not unpredictable in that it lines up with the Word, but it's unpredictable on the when and the where. You remember Abraham? Abraham was just living his life, and in Genesis chapter 12, God says, hey, go, there's a land I'm going to show you. And it says in verse 4 that he left. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, it said, by faith, Abraham left to the land promised, not knowing where he was going. But he knows who was leading. That's what I want you to do. That's my prayer for my life. Uh, there was a missionary, David Livingstone, says, with Jesus anywhere, without Jesus nowhere. And so I don't know. I think some people are scared to death to be called to a foreign mission field. Some people are scared to death to be called next door. But I do know this. If you let the Holy Spirit empower you, give you boldness to speak, encourage you, he'll also tell you exactly where to go. And you might be going into the house one night, and you're hungry, and this is usually how it works. You've had a busy day, rough day, you're tired, and you just want to get a meal and chill out. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will nudge you. Hey, you see that neighbor sitting on the porch? They're not sitting there by accident. You need to go have a conversation with that neighbor. It might be a person at work, and it's usually the person that gets on your nerves. <laughs> just, just so you, that's how it's been with me. And it's an amazing thing to see how God transforms their lives. As a church, we have to be open for what God's doing. I have no idea what God has in store for us. But I do know this, we will be led by the Spirit of God. And we'll be obedient where He leads. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I do pray that you fill us with your Spirit. Father, I pray that for those in the room that don't know you, that today they'll put their faith and trust in you, that they'll trust the work of your Son and what he did on the cross, and dying for their sin to cover them, and then that they'll follow him as Lord and not themselves. Father, I pray for the church. I pray that you give us a boldness that comes only through your Spirit. Pray that you help us be sensitive to where your Spirit's leading. Pray that we're encouraged by your Spirit and with one another. And Father, we're desperate for you to move. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.